reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Thanks, Lexi. Morning, folks. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Great to have you along if you're new or visiting. your youth church, rather. It's your turn, time to head out. Uh, I think get excited. I believe there's a little bit of a Christmas uh, fun happening today as well, a bit of a celebration at the end of the year. So head out with uh, with Darcy and the gang, Joe and Justin. There's a few of us today. Crikey, that's terrific. The rest of us, we're going to be uh, hanging out in that passage in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, I'm going to pray for us. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, please go and grab one from the back. If you don't own it, that's yours. Um, I'd love for you to have your nose in this with us as we read through it. And we're going to pray and ask God to help us as we start. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask every week, we ask it, and we, we are delighted that you answer your promise to speak to us through your word. And we ask that you would continue to shape and shift our perspective, that we would know how to live in the here and the now with our eyes fixed on eternity, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, anyone here a fair in camping? I've already got a glean from Luke. Actually, I am surprised, Luke, that you're not a camper. Being such a hiker, I thought you'd be right up there with the camping. Uh, anyone here love camping? Who's the campers? Who are the good guys? That's all right, I said it. <laughs> I love camping. I'm a huge fan of camping. Every year, we have at least one family camping trip. Um, my, my preference, and hopefully there's some pictures will come up here, my preference is to go with somewhere where there's no electricity, you know, where you've got to carry your own water, um, Tiana makes sure that we've got access to a toilet block and, you know, that sort of stuff now, but anyways. But I love going on these family camping trips. And if just to solve my, my need for that extra bit of roughing, I have at least a couple of nights out sleeping in the bush with one or two of the kids in the back of my ute under a tarp, um, and, I, and I just dig it. I, I, I've got to get my fix of those things. And there's several things I love about camping. I mean, there's, there's lots of it. I love the campfire. I love eating off your lap, you know, when you've got to balance things on the plate and it's a bit of a trick. I love running around on the logs. I love jumping fences. I love teaching my girls new skills. That's a little bit of a gruesome one, but anyways, you get the idea. They've got to work out how to do this sort of stuff. Uh, I love that it's dirty. I love that it's loud. There are so many things I love about camping. See, it's, it's active rest. That's what I like about it. It's busy, it's hard work, but I find it enjoyable and I sleep well at the end of the day because I've really worked hard. 
In fact, to give you a bit of a summary of our camping trips, I go camping looking like this. I come home looking or at least feeling like this. (laughs) But that's actually one of the reasons I love camping so much. It's because it makes me appreciate my house all the more. And is there anything better than coming home after a week camping where everything has started to smell like a combination of fish and campfire smoke, where you're covered in midgy bites, where you've had limited hot water access for bathing, you've eaten simple prepared foods, you know, a year's worth of mammy noodles, you just don't want to see another noodle for a long time, or packet pasta. You've probably had at least one night uh, where you've woken up on the floor because you've rolled off your air mattress or it somehow leaked during the night. But how good is it when you get home and you have that long hot shower? where you put on a a set of genuinely clean-smelling clothes, not just the cleanest thing that you found in the corner of the tent. You eat a hearty hot meal and then you slip between crisp sheets over a plump mattress. How much more do you appreciate and then enjoy the comforts that you otherwise take for granted every day of the week? Because you've roughed it. It's such a reset moment. I just dig it. I highly recommend it if you've never tried it, get into it. You know, in his letter to the Corinthians here, in this chapter we're looking at in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul will use this kind of illustration for the Christians in Corinth. But he's not doing it to give them holiday advice. He's doing it as a continuation on from his encouragement in the last section. In fact, just have a quick look at how, how verse, uh, chapter 5 starts. For we know, if you'd notice here, Paul is building argument on argument. You notice at the start of every chapter, since then, therefore, for we know, he's building on argument after argument. And here he's building on the argument or his encouragement in the last section in chapter 4, which was that in light of the authentic gospel, that must change your perspective on every aspect of life. And here in this section, he starts to talk about the, the difference between the here and now and the there and then. Life beyond the grave. The here and now and the there and then. In fact, just look back with me to where we finished last week, 2 Corinthians 4.18, where Paul underlined this distinction of life now versus life then. He said there in verse 18, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is seen, that's the now part. But what is unseen, that's the then part. And why does Paul do this? We'll keep reading. It's because it's this unseen is eternal. This unseen is, the seen is temporary, the unseen is eternal. And here's the difference between the now and the then. See, life now represents what we can see and experience with our senses, but it's only temporary. But through the gospel, through Jesus Christ as Lord, that's the simplest way of explaining it, we become aware or we can become aware of an unseen eternal reality that begins after death. And Paul's saying, concentrate on that part. Fix your eyes there. Look to the bigger, more important, more significant part of your existence. To put this in perspective for you, I was invited a couple of weeks ago to come and speak at the Year 9, 10 and 11 uh, chapel service here at the Christian College. And the students actually requested before I come that I might include uh, teaching on hell as part of my sermon. It's not an often request, but one I'm happy to, to, to give, a, give a nod to. Because it's an important request, it's an important topic to get your head around, to get clear on. So I taught from John 3, and here were the three basic parts of my uh, points from that sermon. Number one, heaven and hell are real. Two, eternity is a very long time. And three, bad people go to heaven. That is, people who know they're sinners who trust Jesus to be forgiven. Bad people. 
Bad people go to heaven. Good people go to hell. And in helping them try to grasp this idea of the length of eternity, I use this illustration. Maybe you've heard it before. I can't remember it. I talk to a lot of people, so I can never remember who I've told it to. Imagine that uh, this coil of rope on the screen here represents your eternity. You effectively have a beginning. You can see it, but there's no end. You can't see the end of the rope. It just keeps coiling out and out and out and out and out. That's you. That's your eternity. Now, on this scale, how much of that rope represents your life on earth? I'll tell you how much. Have a look at this next picture. Do you see that little pink sliver? That's an overestimation. That little tiny pink sliver at the beginning of the rope represents your life on earth, and I think it's an overestimation. I couldn't get the line any thinner. And then ask yourself honestly, by comparison, how much time and effort do you spend thinking and worrying about the tiny pink sliver of life, and how much time do you think about or spend investing in the rest of the rope (laughs) and what that reality will be like. And tell me which bit matters more, which is more important. See, heaven and hell are real and eternity is a very, very long time. And so Paul's right encouragement for the Corinthians and equally for us is to fix our eyes on the as yet unseen, on the eternal bit, the endless coil as of more significance and importance than the presently seen and experienced temporary bit it's a sobering sort of reality it's it's, it's a good illustration i feel because it really does sort of wow that's hard to to uh could you possibly argue that you should concentrate on the pink sliver and so paul uses this sort of illustration in in these two chapters and he builds on this and he spends this next section in chapter five giving them a framework for what this will look like in practice the here versus the then And it so helpfully does this because this framework doesn't just help us understand the difference between life now and life then, but it helps us to avoid critical errors that even Christian people often make about expectations for the Christian life now. Here's where he uses his camping illustration. Read it again with me. Chapter 5, verse 1. He says, For we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. You hear that? Paul straight away is, he is underlying the difference between the life now, seem and temporary, versus the life then, unseen and eternal, and the difference is like between living in a tent versus a permanent house. A tent's okay for a time, but it's not a fixed structure. A tent's not made to be a, ter- a permanent dwelling, and neither is your present body. Neither is your life now. This is not your final destination. If you like, it is the bus stop or the airport. It is the transition point on your way to the final destination. So don't fix your eyes here and now. Don't waste time decorating the bus shelter. Who goes, waits for a bus and then puts a picture of the Mona Lisa on the thing and paints the carpet? You don't, you don't paint the walls in a motel room, do you? Of course not. Don't get comfortable in the tent. Remember the unseen eternal destination. Live now in light of that. That's Paul's encouragement. That's his encouragement. But what exactly will life look like in the tent or the bus shelter or the transfer station? What should you expect in the here and now in the seen and temporary experience? See, this is where Christians slip up often. It's where many Christian ministries get it wrong because they don't pay close attention to God's word And they come up with a faulty expectation of the life now. 
that faulty expectation of uh, that when you start trusting Jesus, everything's going to come up roses. Every post will be a winner. Every prayer will be answered according to your wisdom and your timing. That life here and now ought to go from strength to strength. Have you ever heard that sort of message being preached as a gospel message? It's not so. It's one of the faulty gospels that we talked about last week. And it's phony because it just doesn't match with the gospel that Paul preached. It doesn't stack up with the teaching of the New Testament or the Old Testament for that matter. In fact, it's the very error that Paul here helpfully addresses so that we can avoid it also. Because look at how Paul describes the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian who recognizes this earthly experience as a tent-like season. Have a look at verse 2. 5 verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead in our hev- with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, do you hear this? Do you, do you hear the proper expectation of the Christian who is aware of the here versus the then? Groaning. Groaning, says Paul. It's going, to be, it's going to be groaning at times. In fact, he adds to groaning burden, verse 4. And more than that, he describes it as being like living naked, longing to be clothed with immortality of the life then. That's a punchy little illustration, isn't it? It kind of reminds me of that dream that you have when you go to school and you're in the nude. Anyone else have that? Please tell me I'm not the only one. Oh, it's a horrible dream, isn't it? It's so frustrating because no matter how hard you try, you just can't manage to find any clothes or you can't manage to sort of step... You, you can't run away for some reason to go and get something to cover up. I mean, even a, a textbook or something. <laughs> Sorry, Luke. <laughs> I mean, it's just really uncomfortable. You can't scream, you can't do anything. Anyways, you're naked and it's uncomfortable. That's kind of like the life here and now. That's the sort of the perspective that Paul's trying to get us. It's actually, it's the, the life here versus the life then perspective that Paul is trying to correct the Corinthians on. Don't expect that if you become a follower of Jesus that suddenly you'll start living a charmed life. No, you'll groan, you'll feel burdened in new and different ways. You'll be aware of this life as temporary tent. You'll be eagerly desiring to get to your eternal destination, a permanent home built by God. But while you wait, while you're in transit, so to speak, you may feel naked or exposed. Don't fret. This will pass like the dream at school. <laughs> in fact, even the discomfort of the transitory moment is God intended and God designed for your good. Now, that's a startling statement, isn't it? But it's what Paul makes plain. In fact, this is the bit I skipped over in the text last week. So just cast your eyes up a chapter, 4 verse 7. This is the bit I skipped over that I want to re- return to now. Read it with me. Chapter 4 verse 7 says this. Fourth, I'm going to go for a little while too. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. Treasure in jars of clay. This treasure being the light of the gospel that Jesus is in fact Lord over all, bar none. Paul is saying that that knowledge, this knowledge is a treasure. But it's like a treasure housed in a fragile vessel, a clay jar 
referring to this weak, fragile nature of our bodies and our experience. Now, why would God store a treasure, the treasure of the gospel, in a weak vessel like that? Why? Who puts a treasure in a clay jar? How easy is it to smash that? Paul doesn't leave us guessing here. Do you see how he answers it almost before we've asked it? You see there he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. There is design in this. There is purpose in this. There is intent in this. How so? Verse 8 again, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may so also be revealed in our body. See, friends, here's the right expectations of anyone who's seeking to live out the reality of Jesus' lordship with it, which, which, sorry, which includes the desire to make others equally aware. It's going to be hard. It's going to be pressing. Expect it to be at times confusing, at times painful, at times lonely, at times more feeling like a death sentence than a prosperous thriving. And God has designed it this way deliberately so that you would learn to lean on him by necessity, so that you would learn to trust him by default so that others might notice that there's something different going on in you by the way you struggle well and by God's grace that it might be a beacon for those around you to seek and find Jesus as the source of your hope and and your perseverance in life. And then 4 verse 13, Paul quotes the psalmist 116. He says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. He applies it to himself and he applies it to the Christians And to us who say we hope in Jesus, since we have the same spirit of faith, we also speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. That is a marvellous hope, isn't it, friends? Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope that the same God at work by his spirit who raises the son from the dead will rise you from the dead? And if you believe it, then speak it. Trusting God's power by his spirit to work through it to flick that spiritual light switch on for those who are currently in the dark. To actually sustain you, even in the speaking, when it's not well-liked or well-received. In fact, this was a point that was probably too muted in last week's sermon, helpfully pointed out by a Christian sister. It's that work of the Holy Spirit who makes the preaching of the gospel that set forth plain truth It's the Holy Spirit who works in that to illumine the minds that are otherwise left in the dark. Now, I've made this point already several times and I'll make it as many times as it appears in the text, which is often. This is the primary role of the Holy Spirit, to to illumine people's minds, to change people's hearts so that they are not only able to hear but respond rightly to the gospel, Jesus is Lord. And that's what will give you confidence to speak and comfort regardless of the outward response of the hearer is that God is able and has determined to work by his spirit as the gospel is proclaimed to save and transform the people he chooses. It's magnificent, isn't it? And I say it's the primary role of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the only role of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul picks up on another very important role of the Spirit here in 2 Corinthians 5. In fact, we shouldn't miss this 
because the vital significance to not just understanding how to live in the here and now, but to actually live in the here and now. In fact, have a look down back at uh, chapter 5, verse 5. He says this, he says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, do you hear there an incredible, encouraging and necessary aspect of the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the believer? He is a deposit or a down payment, kind of like a lay-by when you're Christmas shopping. Believers, God gives believers his spirit to illumine their minds to Jesus, to transplant hearts so that they would trust him, to transform lives so that they would be obedient to him, and then to conform, sorry, to comfort and assure believers when the life in the here and now is tough and pressing and confusing, lonely, more like a death sentence. It's the Holy Spirit's role in the, in the, uh, to remind believers who they belong to. The Holy Spirit is a down payment. He's it's God's royal seal of ownership, if you will. You know, like the royal seals you see? It's the king's imprint on your life. It's the deposit of the spirit to be understood as the guarantee of what is to come. See, unlike mum at Christmas time, God won't leave you on lay-by forever. <laughs> and if you're naughty, well, I'm just not going to go and pick that up now, am I? No, that's not God's, that's not Ishtik. He will eventually take you from the here and now, from this tent-like transitory experience, and he'll take you to the there and then, the eternal and permanent place that he has built for you. How encouraging is that? How reassuring is that? And how exciting is that? In fact, how necessary is it to remember, especially when the experience of the here and now is often hard? You see, the truth is, folks, I don't know what's going on for each individual here. I get a bit of a front row seat to some. But what's happening in here and now, I don't quite know for you specifically what's plaguing you, what's pressing you, what's hurting you, what's confusing you. But I can stand here on the authority of God's word and along with Paul tell you to consider those things light and momentary, seen and temporary, tent-like and transitory. That though you may be burdened by a myriad of issues in the here and now, that you may groan under the weight of their pressure, that the promise of, of God by his Spirit to those who trust Jesus, not only does he promise to help you to bear up under those burdens, but he promises to use them for your good and for the good of others who you share the gospel of Jesus with even as you struggle. See, that's the gospel that the Corinthians needed to hear and be reminded of. This is the gospel that they're being pulled away from by false preachers. This is the gospel they need to come back to. And it's the same gospel that we need to hear and apply and proclaim and remember today. Often. See, God doesn't just give us his spirit he doesn't just give us his word. He doesn't just give us his uh, a prayer as a means of responding to him. He gives us each other that we might remind and care for each other when we forget. It's a magnificent thing that God has given us, everything we need to live a life of trust in Christ, to groan and suffer and strive and perse- persevere well by his spirit with those gifts. Magnificent. And what, what difference does it make, folks? Here's the last point. What difference does all this make? Well, it will dramatically change 
we talked about last week, shift your perspective. Let me just hone that in a little bit further. It will drastically change your goal for life in the here and now if you've understood this well. Because you think about this, and again, this is not rocket science. What are the goals that people aim for in the life here and now? You know, the dream job, the social significance, fast cars, fancy houses, trim bodies. I mean, they're pretty common goals, wouldn't you say? What's Paul's goal in life, in the here and now? How has the gospel reshaped his whole aims in life? Two things that I'll tell you. He says his aim is to please God and persuade others of the same. Have a look at there in verses 9 and 10. Because he, In fact, I'll sort of summarise from 6. Because he is confident in this gospel, because he's confident of the then, he says we live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try and persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope also it is plain to your conscience. Do you hear that? Because of the gospel because of his firm grasp on the difference between the here and now and the there and then, that reality of existence, Paul's goals have radically altered. (laughs) His desire is to please God both now and then and persuade others that their life's aim should be likewise. And why is that so, friends? Because to aim for anything else, to aim solely for a comfortable existence in the here or now is to settle yourself short. It's to aim too low and often becomes for a lot of people the stumbling mock to knowing God and to knowing the everlasting peace and forgiveness and hope and satisfaction that only comes through being in a right relationship with him through Christ. Nothing else in the world, nothing else the world can offer rather can compare with that. Because the truth is, looks fade. Muscles waste. Cars rusts, houses crumble, your dream job will one day retire you. Your friends and family will die and you will join them. And that question that last day is not how big your bank balance is, not how many influencers or likes you had. It'll be how did you respond to Jesus? What did you do with that? See, friends, is it your aim to live to please God by trusting Jesus, by living in step with his spirit, that deposit he gives to remind you of his favour, by seeking to persuade others of that same incredible promise of life everlasting which outstrips all the hollow promises of the world, infinity to zero? Is that your aim in life? To please God and persuade others? It's a hefty question, isn't it? They're hefty challenges to consider. And if you have actually understood these questions properly, they are going to cause you some pause for thought and hopefully cause you to recognise your need for help. So how marvellous is it then that one of the gifts God gives us is the ability to pray to him by the Spirit and ask for the help that we sorely need. Would you like to pray with me now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to live here and now in light of the then and there, in light of eternity. 
We ask that you would equip us by your spirit to seek obedience to you and to deepen our love for the lost, that trusting Jesus we might live lives pleasing to you and persuasive of others to trust you likewise as you change, as you transform, as you radically alter people by your spirit through your word. And Father, we ask that you would so radically transform our own goals and priorities that we would find no comfort and satisfaction in the things seen and temporary, but only in that which lasts for all eternity, our relationship with you through Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.